Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. Hi, neighbor. <laughs> Isn't it a wonderful day in our neighborhood? Oh, I couldn't wait all week to get here be together with you. I know, right? Let's do this together. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? And I've always, I've always wanted to have a neighbor just like This beautiful day. Since we're together, we might as well say, Would you be mine? Won't you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Won't you be? Won't you please? Please, won't you be my neighbor? My neighbor. <laughs> yeah. Here we go. Yeah. You know, I think uh, Fred Rogers was better at this than I am. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know, yeah, yeah. It's, you know, how many of you grew up with uh, Fred Rogers in Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood? Wasn't that amazing? And you know, when I think about, as I thought about starting off this year and beginning with a series on what we're all about, which is loving our neighbor, there are two people that I think about. First one is Jesus. What's the answer to every question? Jesus. But secondly, I thought about Fred Rogers and Mrs. Rogers' Neighborhood because when you look at this on the surface, it seems like it's a pretty simple, just a little kid's show. But when you really look a little bit below the surface and you dig a little deeper, you quickly see how much is going on. And for me, this has been an incredible study. And getting ready for it, I've read several books about him. I've, I've seen as, as many documentaries. I'm excited about the movie coming out. But when you look at the life of Fred Rogers, here's what you realize. See, Fred Rogers, there was a lot that went into this seemingly simple show. Fred Rogers was, was a theologian. He was attending Pittsburgh Theological Seminary, and in 1963, he was ordained by the United Presbyterian Church as a minister, as an evangelist, to reach family and children through mass media in 1963. Now think about how far ahead of their times that they were. As a kid's TV host, he was ordained as a... As, as a pastor. Psychologically, he wanted to know what was going on with children. So he studied psychology at the University of Pittsburgh's Graduate School of Child Development, working with noted child psychologist Margaret McFarland. And Mar Dr. Margaret uh, McFarland continued to be a consultant on every script that he wrote, almost 900 scripts that he wrote, and over 200 songs because every song, every script had intentionality in what he wanted to do. But he, he didn't stop there. Artistically, he wanted to give a lot to kids. And he even he had a bachelor's in music composition. Did you know Mr. Rogers had all this stuff going on for him? <laughs> he, had a, he had a bachelor's in music composition writing all these songs. And for him, and this is one of the big reasons that I love him, because you all know that I love hockey, but I really love jazz. And so Mr. Rogers, when you look at the songs, he reached out to one of the great jazz pianists of that time, a New York jazz musician, active in New York, active in the scene. His name was Johnny Costa. 
And he went to Johnny Costa, one of the, one of the greats, and said, I'd like for you to be the, my band director for my kids' show. Now imagine being one of the great musicians and being approached by a PBS uh, kids' show saying, I want you to do all the music. Do you know what his re response was? His response was, not a first. His response, first response was, I don't want to be about making kitty music. I don't want, that's not what my life's about. And Fred said to him, good, because our kids deserve more than that. Isn't that cool? That, I thought that was just the coolest thing. And so when you hear it, when you see it, you see these amazing jazz musicians. You see the psychology all underpinned on this foundation of theology. Because Fred took his job to be a good neighbor serious. He wanted to be that good neighbor. So he poured everything that he had into it. And as we go through this series, I, th I thought of what, what better example of an example of somebody who took this commandment from Jesus that we see in Mark chapter 12. And I encourage you, if, if your Bible today or your app, whatever it is, open it up. Because this is a premise that we're going to be, be dealing with for the next five weeks. Because as we head into this fall, we need to be prepared to fulfill this commandment of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's read this together. And at first I was going to read it to you, but I'd like for us all to read it. This is from the New Living Transla Translation. Read this with me. It says, one of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to the debate. He realized that Jesus had answered well. So he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is more important than these. Powerful words from Jesus. No other commandment is important to this. So as we continue today, I'd like for us just to invite the, the Lord to lead us and to guide us and to open our ears. So Jesus, thank you for loving us. Thank you for calling us and receiving us as children of the Most High God. Now as we spend these few moments around this, what you have called the greatest commandment. Lord, help us to hear what you would want us to hear. And Lord, then fill and empower us and enable us to act in the way that you would have us to enact. Because we know faith without works is dead. You've called us to live lives of action. So lead us today, O oh God, as we walk forward being faithful to this commandment to love God and to love our neighbors. And everyone said together... Amen. So very quickly as we walk through this today, there's three things that we're going to pull out. First, the first thing that we're going to talk about is how Jesus points to the importance of slowing down. Everyone say slow down. Now this is a chance to turn to your teenager, right? Teenagers are good at slowing down when they're driving, right? Slow down. The second thing is love God. Say love God. And then the third thing is love your neighbor. And you can turn to your neighbor and go, I love you. This creepy moment brought to you by Shoreline Community Church. There we go. Okay. So it starts off when, uh, by the first thing that I want us to, uh, to see and acknowledge is that Jesus is trying to get us to slow down. And when you look at Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, for those that have watched it, you may not have even noticed, but that opening camera shot is a camera shot of a yellow flashing traffic light, right? Now, all my driver ed kids, right? What does a flashing yellow light mean? I heard someone try to say speed up. <laughs> 
right? So even though a lot of us practically, when we see a yellow light, we're trying to speed up and get going, the yellow traffic light really means what? Slow down, warning yield. And this was very intentional. Remember everything I talked about Fred Rogers, about all the psychology, the theology, everything going into it. He intentionally wanted children, families watching the, the show to slow down. See, this was the essence of every episode. Fred was saying, listen, it's time to slow down. As a matter of fact, that daily ritual that he went through that I just tried to kind of replicate where he came in, he took off his suit coat, he put on the cardigan, he changed his shoes from dress shoes to his chucks to put on his feet. That ritual was intentional every episode because he's saying, I want you to slow down. It's time to slow down. And this was the opposite of every other children's show in that day. And I think even today, because every show was focusing on what's the fast, what's the quick, trying to keep kids' attention. Have you ever tried to keep kids' attention? Sometimes it can be tough, right? So you're trying to get in with the flash and the bang, throwing candy out, doing all kinds of things. Fred did the complete opposite. He went the exact opposite way of what everyone was going. See, Fred, instead of leaning in to try and do the fast and the quick and to try to get that short attention span, he was leaning into what kids really wanted. Kids really wanted that acknowledgement. They wanted to know that somebody accepted them, that they were there for them. Matter of fact, when they asked Fred, they said, why did you get into television? Here's what he said. Fred, Fred answered, you know, I saw people throwing pies at each other's faces when I watched TV. And that to me was such demeaning behavior. And if there's anything that bothers me, it's one person demeaning another. And he said, that makes me really mad. Did you know Fred could get mad? Everybody can get mad. Nothing angered him more than to see somebody else demeaning another human being. See, Fred knew that respecting and loving your neighbor to do that well, you had to create an environment to really slow them down. And this was essentially the context that Jesus was speaking to. In Jesus' context, he was trying to get people to slow down. Because in the context that he was in, especially with this commandment, he was speaking to a context where religious leaders had made following God very complicated. Very, yep, very complicated. There were, we had the Ten Commandments, like I got ten fingers, I got ten commandments, thank you God. But then there's an addendum that was added to it. 613 laws about how to follow those ten laws. 613 some of us have a hard time with those 10. And yeah, and in those 613, 365 of those were negative, meaning don't do this. 248 were positive, saying here's what you can do. And they even divided those into what were known as heavy laws, meaning these are important to do, and light laws. Now imagine those of you who work with kids, whether you're an educator or a parent or an aunt or whatever, that you're talking to your kids and go, here's all the laws. Some of them are important, but some of them are kind of light. How do you think the light ones are going to do? <laughs> Not at all. Forget those. It became very complicated. How do I know if I'm following God? And the result of this is that you, it was a culture that was very dependent on religious leaders when it came to following God. What does it mean? How do I understand them? What do I do? How do I know if I'm doing what's right? It made them very dependent and as a result, very insecure. And the leaders, many of them like this. They like that dependency. 
But see, in Jesus' neighborhood, when he walked in, things changed. Just like we were saying earlier, right? Jesus, you changed everything. When Jesus walked in, he walked in now as the son of God, as the Messiah, as the one that was there to rescue them. And he was gaining influence and he was gaining acceptance. And this made the religious leaders very nervous, very uneasy. To the fact where they would often question him or they would try to trap him or who does he think he is. And they would ask him all these questions and try to back him into a corner. And Jesus just was amazing at it. You want to learn how to address those who would accuse you? You will look at the words of Jesus and you will just shine like him in echoing his words. But even though that was the case for many things, in this question here, it was actually a different situation. See, it was normal for the scribes to ask a, um, a respected leader or a rabbi what the laws meant or what the most important law was. And a matter of fact, a lot of rabbis were known by which of those laws they thought were the most important. So in this situation, when a scribe went to Jesus and said, what's the most important law, he was actually giving a little bit of respect to Jesus and saying, you know, what's the most important? What does it mean? One theologian called this scribe amicable and come again. What's really happening here, Jesus? See, asking him was a test. But in Jesus, in responding to this, he was now recognized as someone who was very knowledgeable and someone who knew the law. And this is the only time that we see it happening in Mark. The only time that the scribes approached him on amicable terms. So we need to pay attention to this. And I want us to catch what's happening here. Because in this whole setting of them approaching him, the whole thing, the whole situation happened because Jesus practiced a very key principle. And here's a principle I want us to, to catch today. That loving requires lingering. Isn't that true? That to really love somebody, to really engage with somebody, to really love and care for them, it requires that we linger. How many of you love to linger? For some of you, this feels like lingering right now. You're like, I can't wait to get out of here. I want some lunch. I'm ready to go. <laughs> we struggle with lingering, but to really love someone, it requires that we linger. We have to take our time with what we love. And this, this whole idea of lingering is actually it's something that's very natural for us. When we really love something, when we really care about something, we have no problem lingering, do we? See, that's how God made us because that whole the desire is placed there for our growth because growth takes time. Have you discovered that? That if you want to grow, it takes time. And even as I was studying this, I was talking about Fred Rogers. I was reading about this, this um, uh, one of the authors was writing with him having correspondence. And she had just moved to a new place. And Fred wrote her this note saying, you know what? It's going to take time. And don't forget, when you're transplanted, a transplanted tree takes even longer to grow. Because you got to let the roots go down. And I think that's important for us in Seattle because we're a city that a lot of people are coming to. A lot of people have been transplanted. And we need to have patience. We need to have that ability to linger knowing that when people have been transplanted here, it's going to take a little more time. All the transplants would say amen to that. It takes a little bit of time. you got to reach out. you got to take your time. See, often one of the most productive things that we can do in our life is slow down. Sometimes we equate a lot of activity with a lot of productivity. How many have seen that's not really true, right? It's the tyranny of the urgent. Whatever is urgent, we go to. And we can do all these things and check off all these tasks. And at the end of the day, go, did I really do anything? See, Fred knew that productivity required a slowdown. See, Fred was known for slowing down. And even when he would walk into settings, whether it was the White House or whether it was somebody's 
with his personal house, he, there was this sense about him that it's like the whole place slowed down. But listen to what the man who was known for slowing down accomplished. As I mentioned earlier, the slowdown guy wrote over 200 songs, wrote almost 900 episodes, and received more than 40 honorary doctorate degrees from colleges and universities, including Yale, Hobart and William Smith, Carnegie Mellon, and Boston University, just to, mean, just to mention a few. Does that sound like a slow guy? This is the process of slowing down. But Fred took it one step further here as it relates to kids. He said that the same principle of slowing down, it applies to a child's emotional development, to a child's soul as well as our soul as adults. Fred said that hurriedness, it causes that soul to be hard and resistant. But taking time and going slow, it actually nourishes the soul. His message is pretty clear, isn't it? We need to slow down. We need to take our time. He even wrote a song about it that said, And so I just might make mistakes if I should have to hurry up. And so I like to take my time. We'll leave with that one next week because that's a winner. I I can tell right there. Right? (laughs) So here's your assignment this week. You ready for your assignment? Slow down. I want you to take some time this week. You may have the calendar, slowing down is difficult, and just slow down. In the slowdown time, I want you to spend some time slowing down with Jesus to listen to where you are. Sometimes we have to stop to know where we are. Things are just flying by that window. You need to slow down with Jesus and just listen and reflect a little bit. I want you to see where you are, but I also want to see, I want you to see with Jesus where he's leading you. So your assignment, should you choose to accept? Slow down with Jesus. And ask Jesus, Jesus, where am I? Where am I right now? And then the follow-up, where are you leading me? Help us to take that time this week, Lord, I pray. In your name. Amen. Amen. But we're not done yet. So we're going to slow down, but that second part is love God. Love God. See, being a good neighbor, as Jesus is laying out here, being a good neighbor, it begins with loving God. And when the scribes asked him, what is the most important commandment, Jesus is reciting this, the love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. He is quoting something that was very known to them. This was the Shema. Okay? This was Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5, verses 4 through 5. It was here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord our God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. See, that, word, that Hebrew word Shema, it means to hear, to hear. And it was recited by every good Jew every morning and every night. They knew this part. One theologian said it this way, said that, that, the, that the Shema was as important to Judaism as is the Lord's Prayer and the Apostles' Creed to Christianity. This was core to who they are. And the verse lays out how we love God. And in a nutshell, how do we love God? With everything. With our heart. That's our, that's our emotions. How many of our time loving the Lord with your emotions? Do your emotions ever get out of control? It's game day, so watch out. Okay. With all your heart, that's your emotion. With your soul, that's your spirit. With your mind, that's your intellect. And then with your strength, that's your will. That's your will. And each of these four commandments is prefaced by the Greek preposition, meaning from the source of, 
rather than the means of. So it's saying that these aren't just tools. These are things that are surrendered to God and taken over. And it's from within instead of without. It's not a tool you just pick up. It is a continual surrender to God. See, loving God, it preceded loving your neighbor. And the order here is very intentional and it's very instructional. Because Jesus is saying that we cannot love our neighbor the way that God has called us to love our neighbor without loving God. You can't love your neighbor the way that God's called you to without first loving him. See, we may do good with what the Greeks call this phileo love, this friendship love, this warm love, this affectionate love. That's the kind of love where if you have a neighbor that they bake a pie for you and they bring it to you, they agree with everything you say, that's a good friend, right? You do good for me, I'll do good for you. My neighbor brings me hot cross buns. They're a great neighbor. True. That's phileo. But has friendship love ever failed you? Friendship love can fail us. But the word that's used here for love is the word agape, which we talked about last week, is that godly love. It's that foundational love, that love, it's selfless. It never fails. Whether my neighbors bring me pie or hot cross buns doesn't depend on the love that I'm going to give to them. It is selfless. It's giving us that John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave. While we're still sinners, while we're still disobedient to God. It's that agape love. And it's that agape love that when it comes in, it fills us, it transforms us, and it enables us to even love the neighbor that parks in front of our driveway, that knocks over our trash can, that is loud and rude to us, that doesn't pick up after their dog. I don't think that's any of you guys, right? But there's that neighbor that is like, what is up with those people? It takes an agape love, a godly love, that no matter what, I am here to love you. It is unconditional. See, it's placed first intentionally because that, that love of God, that agape love, it transforms us. It renews us. It enables us. It gives us the strength. How many of you need some agape love to, to, to love some of your neighbors? And you don't need to point at them if they're here, okay? It's that agape love that no matter what, it's that strength from God. And this is so important because... I cannot give something that I don't have. If I don't have it, I can't give it. That's pretty simple, right? If you came up and you asked me for a basketball, I'd be like, I'm sorry, I don't have a basketball. Now, tonight I will. But right now, I don't have a basketball. We need to possess it. We need to have that. See, we produce who we are. We produce who we are. What we are from the abundance of the mouth, the heart does what? It speaks. It comes out. And you can always, that's why you can always tell what somebody loves. You can tell what somebody loves because what do they do? They talk about it. Are there any talkers in this place today? We love talking. We love communicating. It's what they post about on Facebook. It's what they put on social media. Whatever has possessed your heart, it naturally comes out. That's what love does. It comes out. But see, if we're not filled with this agape love, if we don't have the love of God in us, God will never come out. We may be able to manufacture it for a while. We may be able to go to Bible study for a while. We may be able to get some knowledge just and get us out. But if we have not fallen in love with God, that agape, unconditional love, and allow that to transform us and to be in us, at a certain point, we're going to wear out because we're just operating out of phileo. I like it. It's convenient. It's good. 
But it's not the agape, that foundational love that fills us, that transforms us. So I have another assignment for you. You ready for assignment number two? You may need to take notes today. Ask yourself, what do I talk about? And if you want to get really brave this week, talk to a good friend and say, what do you think I love? What do I talk about? That's a tough question, isn't it? And as your pastor, know what most people, how they would answer that question and say, what does Dwayne love? The first thing is going to be coffee. coffee. I'm, I'm, I'm a loser, okay? So <laughs> biggest loser. Yeah, so it's right. There are things that naturally come out. And as I was going through this, it became convicting to me because is anything wrong with coffee? No. We're in a coffee culture. I love it. But am I spending more time talking about coffee or am I spending more time talking about how Jesus is transforming me? Am I spending more, I'm talking about me, I'm not talking about you. You may be all good in your hood, okay? But for me, coming in, I'm like, am I spending more time talking about hockey than I do about Jesus? Is hockey, anything wrong with hockey? No, it's the greatest sport ever, okay? <laughs> what, am I ta- what am I talking about? How am I investing in my children? What am I known for? And there's nowhere to hide. It's just a reality. But let it be instructional. What do I love? Is the love of God in me? What do I talk about? What do I love? What a great conversation to have with your family. What, what do we talk about as a family? What are we focusing on? Is it how God is transforming us? Or when a problem comes up, what would God have us do? What would Jesus do? Ask yourself that. But you only get to that point as you slow down and you focus on the love of God. How many of you are like, I've got some slowing down to do? Yeah, yeah, okay. Does coffee help you slow down? Maybe. We'll see. So we got to slow down, be filled with the power and the love of God, but then we get to this commandment here, which is what? To love your neighbor. To love your neighbor. That's the person you creeped out a little while ago, okay? Love your neighbor. And why does Jesus keep it going here? He keeps it going beyond the commandment that they knew, because this is the evidence of a changed life. See, when the scribe went to Jesus, he said to him, what's that one thing? What's the most important thing? What's that most important commandment? And they're expecting just that one thing come back. So when the Shema came back at him, when he talked about loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, they were like, good. But Jesus took it one notch further. How many of you have ever had Jesus take things one notch further with you? And you're like, I was good until you took that next step, Jesus. See, Jesus went one step further, and he said, and the second is equally important, which is to what? Love your neighbor. This is when it got real. This is when some were saying, why did you ask him that question? He took it to that next level. Because, see, what Jesus is saying, he's saying love is active. You want to love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength? There's going to be action. When those four things align and those four things start kicking into gear, it's going to start kicking out to your neighbor. See, loving your neighbor, it is the evidence. There is an evidence when the love of God is in us. It is vibrant. It is active. It is alive. Because that's who God is. God is not a theory. He's active. He's alive. He's real. When we, when we surrender and open our lives to him and confess, he fills us and he changes us. In the presence of Jesus, Jesus changes everything. Just like we sang, right? Fear, fall, fear will bow. Chains will fall. Right now. 
even when the waves are raging. If he doesn't stop the waves, he's going to show you, you want to have some fun walking on these waves? You want me to show you how to walk this through? You want me to show me? You want me to show you how to pay your bills when your bank account is empty? Jesus has done that for me. There have been times in my life to where I've had a medical bill and I've had zero, nothing. Nothing there. And my first thought was like, why did my kid get sick? <laughs> but Jesus said, here's why. I said, I'm going to show you something. And we went to our mailbox and in an unmarked envelope, we hadn't even shared with anybody what the need was. In an unmarked envelope was cash in the exact amount that the bill was from Children's Hospital. And do you know what my prayer was? Help! That was it. All of my theology from grad school came down to one word, help. Help! And Jesus was there. Jesus was there. See, there's evidence from a life that's changed. This is why Jesus said loving your neighbor is equal, equal to loving God. Because there's evidence of what, what that means. Because that's who God is. When you're filled and you're transformed, this comes out as equal. See, in the Old Testament, when, when, and, and Jesus here speaking to the scribes, he knew that they were drawing from this Old Testament, which meant that the neighbor meant fellow Jews. See, when they said that every morning and every night, they weren't thinking all the non-Jews and all the Gentiles around them. When they said, yeah, loving God, or when, it was, when they were called to love the neighbor, neighbor did not mean other people. Neighbor meant you guys. So yeah, I need to love you guys. But what Jesus was doing, he was totally correcting and transforming and going, no, no, no. Who did God make? He made everybody. He made everybody. We are all children of the Most High God, whether we're serving him, following him, believe him or not. Every human being that has ever been made has been made by God and has been made in the image of God. And we're all children of God and we're all masterpieces. Amen? So if you creep somebody out, you can get creepier and say, you know that you're a masterpiece? You're a masterpiece. Everyone's a masterpiece made in the image of God. This is what Jesus was doing. He was correcting their view, meaning that it was everybody. And Jesus here, now he was the first one to actually combine these two. Because Jesus is saying, look, this is one. This is not two laws I'm giving you. I'm giving you the one law, which is to love God and equal to it is loving your neighbor. These are combined. This is one. You can't say that you love God and hate your neighbor. It says this in 1 John, that the person that says they love God, but they don't love their neighbor, what's it say in 1 John? It says that they're a liar. Liar, liar, pants on fire. I don't know if Mr. Rogers would say that, but his, his viewing audience would, I'm sure. Okay. There's no way that we can love God and not love our neighbor. Now, can we struggle with it? Absolutely. How many of you got a neighbor you're struggling with? How many, I'm the neighbor you're struggling with right now. We have those struggles. But the answer is being filled with the love of God and the evidence is going to come forth. It's going to burst forth. See, what Jesus is saying in this, he's saying that loving God is not fulfilled in ritual and sacrifice. He's saying that it is only fulfilled in the complete love of God that includes loving your neighbors. See, we can be very content with rituals and sacrifice. It's all about the rituals, it's all about the sacrifice. He's saying, no, no. It's fulfilled 
in the obedience to God, which is loving your neighbor, that bursting forth, that bursting forth. I love what one theologian said, and if you're looking for some more notes on this, make sure you check out the listening guide. In the listening guide, I've got my references and commentaries and books that I've been reading on this, so be, be sure to check that out. But one theologian, this is from The Pillar, he said it this way, he said that a love for God releases the love of God. Isn't that good? Say that with me. Love for God releases the love of God. Say that again. Love for God releases the love of God. Isn't that true? When we are filled with the love of God, a love for God, it releases his love now through us. Because we're filled with his truth. We're filled with his power. And electricity loves to run through conduit that freely will transmit that. This is why we fill our lives with the truth. We fill our lives with the word of God. We're filled with the love of God. And now it's released in us to do his mission, which is loving our neighbor, reconciling that person back to God through the love of God. See, this was so powerful that even in that moment, that scribe acknowledged and confessed that this is true. And think about how amazing that is. This group of people that was constantly trying to trap him, constantly trying to back Jesus into a corner. When Jesus said this and laid it out, the scribe said, you're right. You're right. Do you know how hard it is for an accuser to admit the wrong and to say you're right? It doesn't happen very often. See, our sacrifices mean nothing unless there is this expression, this evidence of a life that is transformed. An evidence of a life that is transformed. This is what Jesus is saying to us today. He's invited you into Jesus' neighborhood. He said, look, I want you to slow down. I want you to be filled with the love of God, that agape love of God, that sacrificial, that unselfish love, that empowering love. It's that agape love that allows you to die to yourself for somebody else. Phileo is not going to get you there. That friendship love is not going to get you there. And then when we're filled with that love of God, it expresses itself in a love for your neighbor. How many of your neighbors? All your neighbors. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? In this moment, I just want to invite you to just take a moment to slow down, just to close your eyes. And just invite the Lord to speak to you. I believe the Lord will speak to you today. But we need to slow down. Are you hungry for the Lord? Do you echo what we sang earlier? Show me your glory. I want to know you. I want to hear you. I want to walk with you. He's saying slow down. Let your life be hidden in him. Slow down. Be filled with the love of God. And then see the power of that as it's expressed. Show us your glory, Lord. Show us, Lord. As we respond to this truth today, there's questions in the listening guide, but the first question I want to identify is, as it relates to slowing down, ask yourself, are you running past God? 
Or with God? Where are you in that? Are you running past God? Or are you step and step? You've taken that yoke. When he stops, you stop. When he starts to move, you're just moving with him. You're just, no matter what you see, you're step a step. And ask the Lord, Lord, how do I need to slow down? What do I need to do? What does that look like? What does that look like? And the second part, loving God. This, and this, this, is, this is where the rubber meets the road. You got to ask yourself, in the presence of the Lord, His Holy Spirit illuminating you, speaking to you, say, Am I loving God? Am I filled with the love of God? Is that what I talk about? Is that what comes forth from me? Is that what's changing me and renewing me, empowering me? Identify your struggle in that. Where do I struggle in this? And then the last part, how am I doing at loving my neighbor? How does that look in my life? How is the love of God being expressed? Where is it easy? Who's that neighbor that you really just need to pray about right now? It could be a neighbor in your house. It could be a neighbor at work. It could be a neighbor at play. It could be a neighbor on the ball field. Who's coming across your steps that you're needing the love of God to show up in a powerful way so that you can love them? Amen. As we respond today, we have communion tables, prayer tables, and I invite our prayer teams to go out. And I want to encourage you as we head into this, that, Lord, show me your glory. Let's look to the Lord today. Allow him to speak to us and transform us as we respond. Amen. Let's take some time to respond to the word of the Lord today.